Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Welcome to a very, I don't know, multiversal <laughs> uh, episode <laughs> of Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair uh, Hollywood correspondent Anthony Bresnikan. Wow, you! I'm finally like breaking you down where you can say your title without feeling any kind of awkwardness around it. I love it. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk to you about Marvel's animated series, What If. We got a lot of requests to mm. do this series. We're not doing the whole season, but no. uh, Bresnikan and I are here to talk about up through episode two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sort of just our thoughts about how the series as a whole fits into what Marvel is wanting to do right now uh, in its storytelling. Uh, We just thought it would be fun to hop on, hop on a call and, and do one more Marvel, one more, one more trip around the Marvel (laughs) (laughs) multiverse. We, we can also do a little what if about what if too, uh, because I have a nice little interview with uh, uh, head writer, AC Bradley and uh, Brian Andrews, the director of the episodes talking about all the storylines they they pitched or considered, but didn't do. And I, I thought that was, I had a blast talking to them about that. So if you're up for that, Joanna, maybe at the end, we could uh, hit some of those highlights. Oh my God. I love that piece. I would love to do that. Also, I love when I'm reading a Wikipedia page and one of my friend's articles or whatever is sourced, your, your interview with them is sourced uh, in oh, a section cool. on the Wikipedia page. And I was like, oh, I already knew that because I read Bresnikin's <laughs> article. Anyway, uh, here we are to talk about what if. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what a wild time to join us. But uh, what we do on this show is each week, either Richard Lawson or Anthony Bresnikin joins me, or sometimes both, joins me to talk about a show that we're sort of watching obsessively. We're in a little in-between summer period right now. Usually we go episode episode by episode, but with schedules and summer TV being what it is, we're sort of doing some of these one-offs. So Richard and I just did an episode last week about White Lotus. Uh, this is our What If episode. And then the next you hear from us will be Nine Perfect Strangers. And then we're going to get back into the regular swing of things, uh, starting with American Crime Story Impeachment a very Vanity Fair show. So mm-hmm. um, so that is that is a state of still watching right now. Uh, just a couple more weeks of summer programming and then the fall will kick off in earnest. So that is where we are. Um, excited to talk to you about this. And I think, I mean, a reason why we decided not to go week to week with What If 
Um, is it, I mean, I, I, I'm enjoying it, but I will say it doesn't feel quite the same as one of the live action Marvel Disney Plus shows. And that's not even a criticism. That's just sort of my vibe around it. What, what are you, how are you feeling around it, Anthony? Yeah, I feel it. It does it definitely doesn't feel like the typical show. I mean, it's it's animation, and uh, it, each episode is a one-off. I think it's definitely priming people to understand, to fully grasp what it means to have a multiverse. Now that that uh, <laughs> that that uh, has been unlocked with um, with uh, Loki, and uh, you know, one of the things that. Uh, that uh, AC Bradley and Brian Andrews told me was that they were they were directed to to stay away from Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Wanda, and Vision because they had their own mm-hmm. TV shows, and so you know this is picking up I think a lot of threads that uh, would never be pursued except maybe in a comic book. I mean the What If comic series is 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 pretty legendary, uh, but but I'm I'm liking it. I like I like where it goes. I like the idea that this is a place to experiment and take some risks. And still have it be, by means of the multiverse, part of the official storytelling. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. I don't think you I don't think what if is as enjoyable if you're not already up to speed on the MCU because the it's sort of like it's like uh you appreciate the flavors in a dish that are unique and a different way of cooking it when you've had it the same way or a similar way over and over again. It's like, <laughs> "Oh, is there cinnamon in this crust?" Like, "Oh, okay, great. It's different." <laughs> <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, no, I, I I both agree and disagree. I definitely agree that um especially with the first episode, which is you know, was actually my least favorite of the three that I've seen, not because I don't love Captain Carter, because I do, and I'm thrilled to see her sort of uh centered in in the narrative of all of this, right? They've already talked about how she's gonna be in season two. Um, there are rumors that there might be a live action version version of Captain Carter sort of cameoing in Multiverse of Madness. You know what I mean? Like Captain Carter feels like a big thing that they want to sort of go all in on. But the first episode, and I think intentionally so, is kind of doing beat for beat Captain America First Avenger, yeah. right? It's doing the movie. Whereas the second episode I liked much more for my personal taste because it it's just doing a completely a heist like a different riff uh using these characters and i think that's a slow intro into what we're you know like let's hit them with something a storyline they're familiar with let's just do first avenger but swap some roles around and now we can sort of get a little loopier as we go um but but i want to say um so i agree with you that obviously things are enhanced your understanding of what if is enhanced if you understand the the stories that it's in conversation with. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, in episode two, Yondu becoming sort of a Robin Hood-esque figure because of T'Challa's influence versus, you know, um, what happens in the films, etc. However, mm-hmm. <laughs> skis, I do also think that because it's not 
locked, locked, locked into the continuity of the other stories. I think there is a barrier of entry and intimidation factor for people who just want to start the MCU nowadays because it feels like there's so much homework they have to do to understand anything. And there is some freedom in these stories in that if you choose to, you could just take them at face value for what they are. Do you I know guess I mean? so. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. You definitely can wade into it and just sort of roll with it. I think you lose a lot if you're not up to speed. Like, and in the, um, the Peggy Carter episode, I Captain Carter episode. I completely agree to me is like, almost like a template that they're laying down. Like, this is what we're going to do. I enjoyed that episode quite a bit, and I, I thought it was really well done. Uh, but you're right. It's not as it's it's not as free. It's not as uh, wild as uh, and surprising as, as the uh, what if T'Challa became Star-Lord storyline. You know, it, it, it's... But I think you have to acclimate your audience to what you're doing, and I think that was a good way of wading into it. And, uh, you know, what we know about the upcoming episodes that have yet to air, uh, they're going to get a little more far-flung, too, and a little little more avant-garde in their approach to remixing the um, the, the known <laughs> MCU. But I, 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 I just really adored this T'Challa episode. I love that Nebula calls him Cha-Cha. I think it shows like he's much more yeah. laid back and casual in this one. Uh, and, you know, the character of T'Challa was raised, I think, with a cer- certain formality as a prince. And then, you know, because he, his father knew that he would have to become a king someday. And so you can't be as laid back as maybe Shuri is because you're in line to the throne in a way that she's not. And, um you know, here he's raised by the Ravagers, and uh, he's a much more casual dude and lighthearted. I remember interviewing Chadwick Boseman when he was first playing uh, Black Panther in Civil War, and he said mm-hmm. he is not the one who cracks jokes. You know, Black Panther, you you like him, he's cool, he can be funny, but he's not the wisecracker. And I guess in this version of him, we get that, ver- that the wisecracker, the guy who's willing to take a joke and roll with the joke and make a joke himself. But all of the other variety, too. The fact that Nebula has this flowing Veronica Lake hair, which actually serves a plot mm-hmm. purpose. I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, because she's bald and kind of fearsome. And this makes her a little bit more uh, femme fatale, I guess, of the classic film mm-hmm. noir variety. Uh, but then the fact that she's not she's not a cyborg in this. Uh but she pulls back the hair, and we see that little bit of cyborg activity around the eye that's familiar, um, and that that was placed there in some sort of past uh, hostile encounter with the Collector. I, I really dug that. So the hair uh, not just served an aesthetic difference in where you feel like this is variety, <laughs> and it's a callback to a certain kind of character from film noir, from film history, but it also serves a plot point. I thought so many of those things were well done. The way Thanos is, he, he, you know, the line, uh, not angry, mad, and then he turns around and charges the, uh, um, uh, the collector's forces. Does that remind you of a moment from, uh, Marvel past? Uh, tell me what you're thinking of. When, um, Bruce Banner in the Avengers, uh, when, oh, says, I'm, that's my secret cat. Yeah, that's my secret. I'm always angry. Like, and yeah. then he turns or just yeah, turns yeah. around and charges them. Like, you know, yeah. mad, angry. You know, it's sort of like, uh, but, the, but it was the same action beat. 
It was a great line, I, too. Yeah. Not, you know. Yeah, it was a great line. Not crazy. Mad. The Mad Titan. And, I, you know, I was glad that they dropped in that sort of Mad Titan reference earlier for folks mm-hmm. who might not know that that's what he's called. Just beautiful. Just be- beautiful I- exposition in this. Really great. The way they Chekhov gunned this episode. <laughs> like, everything you needed to know, you were, you were, you were given that information and, like, uh, it was set up beautifully. I also like the way that they worked in sort of the 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 emotional crux of the first guardians at least for star lord um the idea of chosen family mm-hmm. and then this idea of betra- yondu betrayal um all that sort of stuff is still worked in here as just different you know yeah. a, a different story of that um, I guess they wanted to have their ending where T'Challa does come back and and reunites with his family but I thought it Initially, when he said, oh, yeah, we went back and Wakanda was destroyed in a war, I thought the twist was going to be that because T'Challa was taken and uh, the king uh, uh, of Wakanda, T'Chaka, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, I I assumed it was going to be that Wakanda was left vulnerable because T'Chaka had directed so much effort outside of Mm. planet Earth to find his son that they were left vulnerable to colonization or attack uh and so that's sort of darker version of this i was expecting but of course uh no it just turned out to be a lie but uh i kind of thought that's where it was going (laughs) did you think that or the only one um i don't know i don't know if i had that thought but i i you know that would have been an interesting story i want what if that Mm -hmm. had happened um i want i want to zoom back to a couple things you said first of all about this idea of um how this show I always think that the metaphor it always comes up and it's more violent than what I really want is the is the uh the frog in the pot of water mm-hmm. and sort of slowly turning up the heat uh, to the boil thinking about the way in which Marvel when it all started with Iron Man what we what uh non-diehard comics readers were acclimated to in terms of superhero storytelling which was mostly you know like Superman and Batman and Spider-Man etc um versus what slowly Marvel Studios, um, with a big assist, I think, in 2018 from Sony, what they have done to uh, get all of us uh, in a place where we can consume a comic book storytelling in this way. We talked about this a little bit with a TV series, mm-hmm. but I mean, like when when I have when I've talked to Kevin Feige about this before, about um, I was asking him if he thought the MCU was patterned after television, you know, like each movie is an episode. And he's like, no, it's more like comic books. Like what comic book storytelling is always our guide. It's just what the audience is ready for. And so like you get the audience ready for weirdness with Guardians of the Galaxy and the slow roll they've done to get audiences ready for the concept of a multiverse. Again, I think Sony's Into the Spider-Verse in 2018 played a huge Mm -hmm. part in helping uh, get us to understand, and by us, I don't necessarily mean me, but sure, um, like the collective folks, us, we, yeah, I guess you. Get audience. folks who Mainstream aren't audience. fully on, yeah, get folks who aren't fully on board to not be so intimidated by something that has been intimidating in comic books, where the continuity, right, or runs that restart, or all these sort of things, and so just get get you on board with the idea of like, oh. Oh yeah, sure. There, you know, uh, in in this reality, T'Challa is this, or in this reality, Peggy Carter is this, and that's okay. And it doesn't disrupt our understanding of who Peggy Carter or or T'Challa were in these other stories we saw. 
And I think that's been, I mean, uh, Feige's Marvel under Feige and other people, not just Feige, um, has always been so good at the patient slow roll. Do you know what I mean? Like just really not getting ahead of themselves and just have faith in Marvel that they will get to where they need to go. You know what I mean? I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. You know, if I can uh, rewind the clock way, way, way back to 1989, I, as a kid, like 13 years old, watching Tim Burton's Batman, like right around the age where you start going to the movies by yourself rather than with like your parents or a grown up, you know, like go with your buddies, go with your friends to watch a film. And so that year was a big movie going year for me, a big memorable time in my life. And I remember seeing Tim Burton's Batman and being like really blown away that Jack Nicholson's Joker died at the end because I was used to the 60s TV series. I was used to comic books where the villain gets thwarted, maybe gets captured, but not only does he not die, but he usually gets away, right? Yeah. And so like, whoa. Like, they killed the Joker. They just introduced this to him, and they killed him. And, uh, you know, the Superman movies, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, like, kept turning up again and again. So I was really shocked by that. And that was, that became a kind of template for superhero movies, is that you would have a hero versus a villain, and the colorful villain would die in the end, or be destroyed, uh, or be whatever, uh, uh, neutralized <laughs> permanently in some way. And the notion that, uh, that, 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 that there's a continuation here, that these were not complete standalones. Like, you might get a sequel, but it's going to be a different villain. It's going to be a different story. Uh, I think Marvel really changed that template, which existed for then 20 years, uh, and said, okay, well, maybe, you know, instead of killing Justin Hammer, we're going to have him... He's going to be jailed, but he might turn up in a short film. He might turn up again. Uh, we're going to keep things going a little longer mm-hmm. and occasionally kill off the bad guy. But mostly, if especially... Put him on ice. Put, Zemo, put him on ice. Yeah, have him come back. Even Red Skull, you know, was yeah. in that early MCU. They were still doing that. Like, everybody thought Red Skull was dead, except for me. I thought <laughs> he didn't really die. He just got, like, beamed out. <laughs> You know, I love this. You're like these many years later. You're like, oh, right. for the record, for the record, I, <laughs> I was right. Was, I really didn't believe. It. I was like, oh no, Red Skull's coming back. Like he's gonna come back some way because he didn't die. He just got beamed out. And so, um, I think they're doing that now. You know, they're changing the cadence of what we expect from storytelling and make going back to the comic book way of no. But uh, to borrow a line from the the Star Wars universe, the uh, no one's ever really gone. <laughs> yeah, in Marvel, no. One, well, okay, that that feeds into the next point I wanted to make, actually, which is not only is no one ever really gone in the way that, like, you know, Catherine Hahn can be uh, rescued from suburbia, where Ag- you know Agnes mm-hmm. was put at the end of Wandavision. Anytime they want to use Catherine Hahn again, but what if offers them something even bigger, which is that characters who they did kill, like um, Killmonger. Mm-hmm. Uh, can come, you know, and like I think about a lot of people talk about this. Killmonger dies at the end of Black Panther. Um, it is a tremendously powerful moment. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible moment in the film, and yet 
a lot of us watching it are then bummed that we don't get any more of Michael B. Jordan's mm-hmm. great performance in that character. And then yeah. Marvel comes along and says, what if we do? And um, it's all under that umbrella of something that I talk about a lot um, that I would like to introduce as a branded concept mm-hmm. in this podcast, which is I've started capitalizing it. Uh, Faye can fix it. Feige can fix whatever, whatever, like whatever question marks, uh, whatever, uh, I don't even want to say mistakes, but sort of like regrets, mm-hmm. maybe faint, faint regrets or big regrets that they have. They, um, they can retcon it using what if. But it's not quite a ret- retcon, is it? So I- you know what I mean? It's another bite of the apple. And like the, the same thing is true of Peggy Carter, right? There's a lot of stuff in Captain Carter. Well, I'm thinking of like Bradley Whitford's inclusion specifically, but like, mm-hmm. There's stuff in in the Captain Carter episode that feels a lot like Agent Carter, which, by the way, wasn't a Marvel Studios, quite exactly a Marvel Studios production, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Agent Carter, they they wanted to use Haley. They loved Haley's performance as Peggy. We all love Haley's performance as Peggy. A lot of people love that show, but I don't think you could call it an unqualified success. It was canceled kind of abruptly. You know what I mean? So they're like... Well, what if instead we give you a lot of Captain Carter? Therefore, we can still use Haley. We love her. And Feige can fix it. Feige can fix, you know, what happened with Agent Carter. I don't know. It's just something I'm thinking about. I, what do you, what do you I think? agree completely. I mean, the other thing, so they give us Killmonger back. They can give us Thanos again as a good guy. Uh, but they can also kill off characters who endure. Like, one of the neat, shocking things of this episode with T'Challa is that when the collector opens up his weapons cabinet, uh, he's got Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer in there too. So something happened to those guys. He's got Hela's uh, uh, headdress and her mm-hmm. little death. What's he call it? The death sword. I forget the exact yeah. name of it. Uh, uh, so like characters that lived are heroes. They can be destroyed. And it got me thinking in terms of the multiverse. So, like, Abomination is in Shang-Chi, um, but it got me wondering about that Incredible Hulk movie with Ed Norton. You know, they recast that part. They put Mark Ruffalo in it. Could Ed Norton's uh, take on the um, character be a what-if? Like, could they say, oh, yeah, you remember that movie from way back? That was the multiverse, man. Mark Ruffalo is the canon, uh, the, the canon Bruce Banner. Could they do a what-if that shows us Here's what I will say. Bruce Banner um, with with Mark. There is some I without spoiling anything. Mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit more of what if than you have. Mm-hmm. And I will say there is a connection to that movie beyond what we've seen from Thunderbolt Ross. I don't think Marvel will ever work with Ed Norton again. Mm-hmm. Uh that that is one of the only publicly burned bridges in the history of Marvel Studios, mm-hmm. uh, is what happened with Ed Norton. Um, but uh, I do think that there are other opportunities there. And I think that's, you know, that's why they brought Thunderbolt Ross back mm-hmm. in to begin with. That's why Abomination is here. They're doing a She-Hulk show. Um, I, I, there is something upcoming in What If that that plays with that, for sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I, once again, just like, I think it'll be fun for folks listening who are watching the show to look out for those like Feige can fix it moments, you know what mm-hmm. I mean. And once again, I don't, I don't want to attribute like there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work at Marvel. It's not just one man. I don't ascribe to the mm-hmm. auteur theory, but it is 
a mentality of this one man who happens to hold, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the main keys to the kingdom here. And, uh, this idea, you know, basically the mm-hmm. process and, and I don't remember if, um, AC talked to you specifically about this, but like that they came up, I think with like 30 pitches and Fe- Feige picked the 10 scenarios that he liked yes. best. So they're definitely, you know, like there definitely is some taste making, you know, going on by Feige here. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, do you want to talk about the what if of what if? Uh, yeah. Hit me. Are you ready hit for that, or should if? we stick? Do we have any? Other no, no. no. Hit, hit me with a what if of what if. Um. So yeah, my I was really intrigued by what those other twenty ideas might have been. Yeah. Some of them are being utilized as uh second season stories, so they wouldn't get into that with me. And but the ones that I thought were the most intriguing were the ones that got nixed right away. One that never even made it into that sort of that final round of consideration. And um, you know, Brian Andrews said that his initial visual pitch. You now he was a storyboard artist or is a storyboard artist who's worked on a lot of Marvel projects. So he's been part of the Marvel family for a while. Mm-hmm. He did a kind of sizzle reel showing what what if could be. And one of the first images was, you know, he said he, you know, he knew he wanted to do like the the Captain Carter thing, which is like a retro story set sort of at the dawn of the known MCU, uh, set in the 40s, World War II era, Captain America era. They ended up doing Captain Carter, but he was like, initially, it was going to be three heroes uh, back to back fighting all the Nazis. It was Cap, as we know him, with the super soldier serum. It was Peggy Carter, as we know her originally. Uh, not needing the super soldier serum to kick Nazi ass. And a third hero <laughs> who is the Rocketeer, which is not a Marvel character mm-hmm. at all. Now, this was pretty quickly rejected by Kevin Feige, who was like, yeah, cool, no. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, we watched The Rocketeer again last week, my kids and I and my wife. It's a great movie. And like, it's directed by Joe Johnston. It really does feel like a Marvel movie in some ways because it feels so much like Captain America, the first Avenger. And uh, and it's a great We movie. should say for folks who don't know that Joe Johnston also directed Captain America, the first Avenger. Yes. If someone's yes. listening to this podcast yeah. and doesn't know that. Yeah. So the same person who directed The Rocketeer directed the first Captain America movie. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those things where they basically they definitely hire Joe Johnston for that vibe. For, for the Rocketeer vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. And like the idea that you and it's a Disney film and it's in the World War II era. Like the idea that mm-hmm. you could just bring somebody in from another universe. I think uh, probably there were legal complications there uh, even though it's Disney, Rocketeer was not a Marvel. It was an independent comic, so uh you know, I'm sure that they can't just have it. <laughs> you can't just take it. <laughs> But um, uh, AZ Bradley said her idea was always pitch Star Wars. Like, what do we get Luke Skywalker in there? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like which is an even bigger no. But uh, but I love that that that's where their brains they were thinking. I think you have to think that far outside the margins before you close off. You know, in order to get just to loosen yourself up. And uh, you know, other ideas she had was she wanted to do a young Indiana Jones style story with uh, with Tony Stark. And Howard Stark, his father. And so that sounded really intriguing to me, is what if Tony actually got to know his dad? Because so much of his story is driven by not knowing who his father was or not really knowing what he was up to. Like, what if he figured it out early, what his dad was doing, and they had a clash? Uh, That would have been really fun to see. She also wanted to do an Odyssey story with... uh, uh, 
you know, Homer's Odyssey, that is, uh, where Pepper and Tony end up gallivanting through space and encountering a lot of the heroes uh, from the galactic edge of the story, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, uh, kind of a romancing the stone thing, if you think about that, like mm-hmm. that, that kind of vibe, the 1980s action romantic comedy thing. And uh, I would have liked to have seen that. I think that could have been fun. I'm always down for a little more Pepper Potts and Tony Stark storytelling because i think they are really good together and um yeah it would have been neat to see her in the rescue outfit blasting through space i mean the potential i mean we know that there's always already going to be a second season but the potential for where they can go forward i mean maybe not to luke skywalker maybe not to the rocketeer um though i would love to hear billy campbell again but like you know um is very vast <laughs> like and, and 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 getting ever vaster like something that i think is interesting is the directive they were given was to use only characters um that had already sort of debuted so uh not to do shang chi necessarily mm-hmm. or whatever um and not to do the fantastic four like if you're hold- like don't hold your breath for the fantastic four being introduced in in animated form uh here that's not what marvel's doing but they are riffing with with the toys they already have in their sandbox um which i think is really fun um something something you know, like i i'm just been like daydreaming about sort of this like feige can fix it attitude going forward and like i think it's either benedict cumberbatch or or maybe just the what if creators had mentioned that that a Doctor Strange centric episode was like a tragic love story. And we know that Rachel McAdams did a voice and like Rachel McAdams and Doctor Strange has always felt like a huge wasted opportunity for me, for that actress, like completely wasted in that film. Uh, So like, is this an opportunity to give us a version of that character that feels like it matters much more? Um, Stuff like that. Jamon Honsu fantastic in this episode yes. too here you know what i mean and like you know they've used jimon honsu in the mcu but they haven't used jimon honsu in the in the mcu the way that they did in this episode so there's just like there's all kind of opportunities i, I loved him as the fanboy i thought that was a great yeah. twist on that character it was great um i was wondering do you have any thoughts on the voice cast aspect so let's you know, for folks who don't know, let's run through really quickly that mm-hmm. like there are a lot of people, uh, both major and uh, small roles, uh, reprising you know their live action performances. Yeah, Carrie Coon doing like two lines on this yeah, episode. Yeah, Guerrero. Major major <laughs> actors doing uh, major actors and major characters, but doing bit parts in right. Animation. And so yeah, there are no small roles or small mm-hmm. actors. Um, but like, um. But then you've got stuff like Dave Bautista claiming that he was not asked to do Drax uh, for this episode. And then Marvel saying that must have been a miscommunication. Mm. But I just I have some like at first I was working on a theory that they were only using actors that are going for the MCU. And that's why Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans were not voicing their characters. But Brie Larson was also not voicing uh, Carol Danvers. So I, I just think I, I have questions about who is and who is not uh, reprising their their live action role. Do you know what I mean? Do you have any thoughts on that? Is this is this a puzzle to you, or do you not care? Whenever you hear, oh, must be a miscommunication. I think of that uh, moment <laughs> from the uh, Ellen DeGeneres show. 
Oh, Dakota Johnson. We're Dakota Johnson. <laughs> like, you know, I wish I could have gotten an invite. Ellen, that's not true. Like, oh, <laughs> must be a miscommunication. Like, right, or a scheduling issue. Uh, you know but what also, I mean? you and I have been doing journalism long, long enough to know that sometimes, like, representatives don't take things to the talent, right? It's like, oh, I would have gladly done that. I just didn't Very know true. You were doing it. Very true. So maybe that's what they mean by miscommunication is the agent is like, no, baby, we can't do this unless we get like, you know, five figures for the two lines that we're going to read in the animated series. Um, you know, it's their jobs to be gatekeepers in some way, but uh, sometimes that probably gets in the way of uh, projects. And so maybe that's what was at, at play. You know? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any... Um thoughts about upcut like what we know already is going to be in the series upcoming and and what what else you're looking forward to i guess i'm looking forward to i like when things change genres like i've always wanted to see the star wars version of a horror movie um I've always wanted to, I'm I'm down for like the Star Wars version of a comedy, you know what I mean? And I like to see what I always like about the Marvel universe is that they they tend to at least somewhat graft a different genre onto some of their um their movies. You know, there, there was a lot of talk like that Captain America the Winter Soldier was like that was like a 1970s paranoid thriller. I think that's a little bit true. I think that's true. It's in, light. In the way that like- Lacroix that La is uh is uh, watermelon flavored? Like it's sort of like yeah. I okay, guess. first of all, as a lacroyotic, uh, I have to say that how dare you? First of all, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, it's not really a lot of flavor. It's like it's like a whisper of a flavor, you know? Like it's a little bit of seventies. Yeah, it's flavor. like the candy coating on on an M&M. Life, you know, for sure, for sure. Well, it reminds me of um, you know, uh, Lucasfilm just put out the promo for their star wars anime that they're doing yeah. uh and that that to me is is leaning or or it, it makes me think about um how rogue one was supposed to be sort of like a gritty war movie and then it was just like too gritty and too war and they're like let's just make it a star wars movie do you know what yeah. i mean like they sort of steered it back towards the thing that they know works so i mean i and i agree and uh, you know Marvel gets credit for when it gets weird, which it does sometimes, but you always want it weirder. And and we're hearing some fun, or I always want it a little weirder. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like WandaVision felt like fun and weird. Um, and what I've heard about Multiverse of Madness, uh, what Sam Raimi is doing, you know, Elizabeth Olsen told me, she's like, this is by far the scariest Marvel. You know, so the, the closest maybe we're going to get to a horror movie um, is the upcoming Doctor Strange movie. And that's that's interesting. And so I I do. I, I think that the more uh people respond to these experimentations. I mean something that I kind of regret, something that they didn't decide to do with this that I think would have been fun was do a different animation style for every episode. They were thinking about it mm. and they decided not to do it. And I think it could have been really fun to you know that would have really helped sell the idea of different genres. You know what I mean? If to to do the like sort of like the animation style they chose mm. for the whole thing, I think works really well for Captain Carter. But for something like this, which is a little more noir, like wouldn't it have been fun to do some like an animation style that's a little different? I think that could have been really fun. Yeah. What if? What if they had done that? <laughs> um, I was like, remember that short Paper Man? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, which had exactly. Like kind of sketch feel to it, even though it was yeah. a lot of computer animation. Like I, I, I kind of would like to see that in a film noir approach. Completely, you know, completely. The one of the upcoming episodes we know from the trailer again is um is a zombie episode mm-hmm. <laughs> with like the zombie Avengers. I'm really excited that's to see I mean what that's the, all about. I love the yeah. idea of like a horror version of yeah, the yeah, cinematic universe. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, like I'm having fun with it, but mm-hmm. again, it doesn't it doesn't feel like essential or urgent Marvel television uh, yet. Um, I know that they have like everything that happens in it is canon. They have said. And, you know, there might be, like, I think if Captain Carter shows up in live action version and, like, say, Multiverse of Madness, it would be but a cameo. You know what I mean? Like, just a sort of mm-hmm. glimpse of another universe or something like that would be my guess. Um, but it doesn't feel, like, quite as urgent as some of the live action shows. And that's okay. It's not a knock on it. I'm just saying, like, I don't see it. It's not trending every week on Twitter the way that the other shows were. Um is sort of this the state of affairs with what if. And that's true of like all animated um even even stuff that's like very popular like the Lucasfilm animation that they did for years that is canon that connects to live action um is never quite doesn't never feel quite as real to the wider audience as a live action property. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Maybe it's an animation bias, I don't know, but it's interesting. All right, anything else you want to say about what if? What if <laughs> you had more to say about it? I think that kind of covers it for me. I'm sad for Korg in this episode. He, <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, collector puts on this uh, rock fist and uh, reminds me of kind of like the, the gauntlets that they sell to kids in the department stores as a toy. Like he puts on this rock fist and punches out T'Challa and then says uh, he got it from a. Was he say like an extremely chatty? Uh, what was the what's the species that Korg is? Cronin. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's right. That's what Korg was, right? So poor Taika Waititi's uh, rock-based gladiator <laughs> at his end, and ended up becoming uh, a gauntlet. Uh, very sad for for Korg. Pour one out. And it's him. also <laughs> it's also a perfect. I mean, like it's also a perfect venue. For something like more Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a perfect spot for this. Uh, it's a fun, fun performance from Seth Green. And it's just sort of like it it belongs in this world uh, in a way that it only mostly belongs in the live action world. Do you know? So uh, and in this and, and in this world, the collector can be jacked. And the one thing we haven't mentioned that we should is like emotionally how it feels to hear Chadwick bozeman's voice again um oh yeah very much so for me he sounds great right he sounds healthy and it's it's very heartbreaking it's it's almost like you forget that he's gone and then you get that title card at the end saying in memory of him and it's like oh right right well there's also that scene with tachaka where he's like uh the hologram scene where he's like you know we will search for you everywhere in this realm or beyond do you know what I mean? That felt like a very meta. I don't know if it was edited later or whatever, but like it felt like a very mm. meta. Like you're you're our brightest star. We will always be looking for you. Sort of thing. I, I teared up. Yeah, that uh, was very John Connie's so great. Uh, he is great. Yeah, yeah. So all right. Well, uh, on that I'm, I'm like starting to tear up. So that's mm. probably probably means I should go. Um, so uh, if you have any what if thoughts, I'd still love to hear them. You can always email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll be back with. Um, 
Nine Perfect Strangers, the new Hulu show next week. Uh, Richard will be coming back for that. Uh, Anthony Bresnikin, where can folks find you if they if they want to? You can find me typing away at VanityFair.com. I'll go. Please check out my what if story and share it if you're so inclined. Uh, I was really proud of that piece and all the uh, alternate. Uh, I guess you call them dead ends <laughs> that they tried to pursue, <laughs> but I love that. I love hearing like who. You know, stories from classic movies of who was considered for the part, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, I, I, so if you want to hear an alternate take on what what if could have been, please uh, uh, search out that story. Excellent. Uh, you can find me also at VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rothis, and I will see you all next week. And ponder the questions.